G'day guys, and welcome to the second episode of the Australian Four-Wheel Drive Touring Podcast. I've got with me today um, Phil Bianchi, am I saying it right? Phil yep, Bianchi, correct. who is an author and um, illustrator, uh, author of the of a book about the history of the Canning Stock Route. Um, we're going to discuss with him and his experience in crossing the Canning and what you need to do and how to prepare yourself. And it's really not just a, an easy trip through the bush. It's probably one of the last, well, the most remote tracks um, in Australia. And you really have to be really well prepared. So it's probably no one better than Phil to speak to. He's, he's as I said, he's written his book. If you want to check it out, it's called Work Completed Canning, um, a comprehensive history on the Canning stock route. Um, and I'd like to welcome Phil. Phil, how are you going? Good morning. In addition to having written a book on the canning, I've written another four books related to the canning on uh, uh, murders and deaths and all that. I've also written in excess of 100 four-wheel drive articles for all sorts of magazines across Australia, four-wheel drive action, monthly, when it changed its name, uh, Go Camping Australia, and I write for a magazine in Western Australia called Western Four-Wheel Driver. And I have a column there called uh, The Things You See with Truthful Phil. So you can figure out <laughs> what that's all about. All right, guys. So jump on I've and got, have a look. I've got vast, lots of experience and got lots of contacts. Uh, and uh, so uh, I thoroughly enjoy sharing information. I look forward to telling people more about my favourite topic, the canning. Thanks very much for joining us. So we're a wealth of knowledge. Um, what's been your experience with the canning? So as far as going out and crossing it? Right. My first encounter was about 1996. Uh, in those days, you had to report to the police station that you were going to go on the canning, and when you got to the other end, you reported to the police station you were coming off. Yeah. So Halls Creek and Walluna. Yeah. And remote ass. There was no uh, Kanawaraji. Yeah. Uh, the drums of fuel were at 23. Okay. Uh, so explain for everyone what you mean by 23. All right. Uh, the canning's about 1,800 kilometres long and it's probably shortest distance. Yeah. But depending on around the, around the well 40s mark, you can go out and back and do loops and it adds another 100 kilometres. So somewhere between 1,800 to 2,000 kilometres, depending how you go about your trip. Yeah. Now, now you need a lot of fuel. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Now, think about that 2,000 kilometres through the sand on the corrugations, and that doesn't include if you are travelling off the track itself to go and have a look. So that's the first major thing is having enough fuel to travel 2,000 kilometres in low range through the sand. So how do we go about having enough fuel to do that? Well... Firstly, every vehicle's different in yeah. consumption. You've got your four-cylinder, uh, uh, well, firstly, I should say, please consider only a diesel. Yes, I strongly absolutely. recommend only a diesel. The Canning's got enough bodies, vehicle bodies, and another one went this year, Prado, I believe. Uh, I think it was a petrol, not sure. Uh, it's just too risky to run around out there in a petrol and your fuel consumption would be ridiculous. You would need a BP tanker to follow you, if it could. Yeah. So, strongly consider a diesel. There, you've got roughly uh, seven to 800 kilometres to get from Halls Creek to Kano Waraji, which is at, well, 33. Mm -hmm. And you can buy fuel there 
out of a normal fuel bowser. Okay. At current prices, three forty a litre. Okay. Yes. They do sell petrol, but I think you may need to get that um, Avgas type fuel. I can't think. Opal. Okay. Opal. Yeah. Might yeah. Only sell yeah. Opal. Yeah. If you right. Yeah. Then there's the next thousand kilometres from there to Waluna. Mm-hmm. And some people, because they're doing a few side tracks and they're going out to the Dibble Hills and they're doing a few other things, need more fuel or they can't carry as much fuel, they they order it through what's known as Capricorn Roadhouse and they have a, a subdivision that organises the fuel and it's delivered in four to four-gallon drums to the Well 23 fuel dump. There has been reports of the fuel being stolen by people. Yeah, but, people have no respect for the people that have to actually get through there. Threaten people's lives. Yeah. I have never had any stolen, and I've had fuel dumped there that many times. I can't remember. Yeah, and that is roughly the same price, three forty a litre. So these yeah. are only two refueling points on the Canning. Yeah. So but Capricorn if, Roadhouse is just out of in, Newman in, the, in northwestern yeah, Australia. You bring them, and they'll sort you out with phone numbers. By the time people read this and, or listen to this and say a year's time, it could be a different arrangement. But always go to Cappy first, and then yeah. they'll lead you on. Okay. Now, so we've got about a 1,000 kilometres if you don't organise a fuel drop of 220 yeah. litres, which obviously you're not going to do this alone. This isn't something that yeah. I recommend you go out and do by yourself. You at least need to have one other vehicle with you. So if you... You're sort of working on 220 litres of fuel between the two of you, dropped out there at $3.50 a litre. That's going to be your second fuel drop to stay safe, which is going to leave how many kilometres from well 23 to uh, Waluna? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it roughly spits... It roughly splits it, splits it around 400 to 600. Okay, perfect. Because 33 yeah. to 23 is only the 10 or 12 wells. Yeah. And then you've got 23 downwards. But I think it's uh, uh, half of the wells, sorry, down to well 11 is where the sand dunes stop. Virtually well 12 is the last of your dunes. Yeah. So you've really only got uh, uh, 10, or 10 or 12 wells of dunes with the Durba Hills and the flat areas around there in between. So Okay. Yeah. All right. Fuel, okay. Fuel's important and people make the mistake and I have heard it. Oh they're gonna pay three forty a litre. So they go and buy, you know, six jerry cans and put them on the roof. Yeah. And of course they hopelessly overload the vehicle. Which leads us perfectly into our next and uh, I, and another I, point. I say to them, you're coming from Melbourne or Perth or whatever, you're spending umpteen thousands of dollars to do this trip, and you would still pay a dollar sixty or a dollar eighty a litre for your fuel in Broome or Newman or whatever. So you're only adding another to buy a hundred litres of diesel at three forty a litre. You're only adding another hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, Are you that's for real Worrying yeah. about adding another hundred and fifty kilos to your vehicle, mm, and they yeah. don't look like that. They just get this. Oh, it's too dear. And then they wreck their vehicle because they can't carry it. That's right. So another huge issue that um, has really even come to light in the last few weeks, um, highlighted on the Canning Stocker page, which you run, Phil, um, is overloaded vehicles actually snapping in half at the chassis rails because people are loading them up with too much gear. We're going to do another episode on GVM and what that means and how how to upgrade it and what to take and what not to take. 
but in a basic nutshell, you can't go and put two and a half ton of gear on your patrol and then, or your cruiser or whatever, and then take off and go and do the canning. Um, the issue is people are taking, as you said, Phil, jerry cans, and they're taking six or seven jerry cans. And once you add that up, that's you know 200 kilos of fuel and they're putting it on a roof rack and then they're driving across corrugations for 2000 kilometers. The vehicles just can't hold up to them. And the biggest sort of misleading thing that I've found in this, Phil, is um, the use of airbags. And people believe that airbags are a replacement for a decent spring. It's not. It's a leveler. That needs to be yep. used correctly. Um, yep. It's... They, it's like putting two bricks underneath your chassis rail if you inflate them too hard, and it it doesn't do what you want it to do. No, the um, the uh, the engineers when they built the vehicle, whether they're leaf or coil, uh, have worked out the best placement for springs and the structure or supports to hold either the leaf spring or the coil spring in place. So let's take a leaf spring. It's attached at either end and the axle roughly in the middle. So the people put a poly airbag in there to, to uh, well, it's supposed to be there just to assist. It's a helper. Yeah. But they pump it up so hard that the attachments at either end no longer do the work. Mm. And so instead of the spring being supported and the vehicle's load being shifted through two attachment points, there's only one where the yeah. poly airbag is. And so... Instead of, uh, say, each end having a 1,000 kilos, the one point's got 2,000. Guess what's going to happen? Snap. That's, that's and exactly that, right. And then the same with the coil. The coil springs have got the, the towers and there's attachments not as far apart as the, uh, as the uh, leaf. leaf. But you end up with just one stress point yeah. instead of two. Yeah, and, that's correct. And crunch away, away we go again. Yeah. And it's not just the weight of the fuel, but you've got to take the water. And then if they're travelling with – some people only travel on their own because they can't get others mm. at the right time of the year or they're just solos. So they've got all the gear. But if you can get in a group of, say, three, four or five – yeah, one bike takes the barbecue, another vehicle takes the camp oven, another vehicle takes some of the repair uh, tyre pliers and all that, and the weight reduces significantly. Yeah, that's and right. It definitely helps. Like, you get to well 33, you don't want everybody having a, a diesel pump to yeah. pump the fuel out. You only need one. That's but right. You, you don't need... You don't yeah. need 12 sets of max tracks, for instance. I mean, it's only a exactly. small weight, but if you, if one vehicle has four max tracks, you're going to be right to get yourself out of pretty much any position, any situation you're in. Um, yeah. Reducing so load's a huge thing. Share the load, share, yeah. and think twice. Do you really need that? You know, when when John Forrest or Ernest Giles ran around out there, okay, I know we we know we didn't have angles and, and whatever because horses don't, you know, but they weren't overloaded. They lived, and I've seen some people travel the canning, and you look as they drive past, you can see straight out the other side of their vehicle, and you think, gee, he's travelling really light. Yeah, and that's right. It's bursting at the seams, and they've got things plugged into their. Um, trailer plug at the back holding two or three jerry cans wobbling left and right up some homemade bracket and yeah because they just got to take chainsaws and uh, you know, oh, yeah yeah that's staggering. right it's so, very staggering 
tell us a bit about what you drive, Phil. What what vehicle I, do you have? I currently, I currently got a hundred series turbo diesel, two thousand and six model. Yeah, it's the last of the. It's a series three. Yeah, and it's just a, just a real well. I had an eighty series before that for twenty years. Yeah, did that trips on the canning. It, I don't remember how many. And the 100 Series is all set up for remote bush travel. Yeah, excellent. I, I, I do a lot of, uh, if I can, health permitting cross-country stuff. Yeah. Like uh, uh, a few years ago, we travelled from Kirikara to um, the Gun Barrel cross-country for three weeks. Yeah, following sensational. Following an explorer called David Carnegie. Okay. I like doing that sort of work. So I'm very well equipped for doing something like the canning because there's a wheel pad yeah okay yeah beautiful so long range tank long range tank yeah how much Two, fuel are you carrying uh 245 245 yeah underneath yeah 245 yeah. underneath uh i've got uh, uh, a bilstein shockies all yeah. around um level uh suspension that's been um well the the level springs have been set up for my vehicle yeah the white and the way I've set it up, it's not look up the book. Hundred Series has a, the, the ABC model. Mine's set up for my vehicle. Yeah. And yeah, the rear bar, the tow bar, the, the the dual wheel carrier, the roof rack. Uh, the, the, I've got uh, all the a, stuff. I've got a um, air conditioning compressor converted for pumping up tires. Yeah. Uh, an, an air tank in the bull bar for resetting the bead because we've had to reset beads. Yeah. And uh, you know, underwater tank, water tanks underneath. And, um, yeah, right. So it's all pretty serious. So when we touch on water, how much water do you think is sensible to have? Um, I know that it's really important and you need excess and Mounts, but you don't want too much. Again, you've mm. got to think about the weight. So, you, if you don't need, you know, you don't want to take five hundred liters of water because you're not going to use it. So, what? How much water would you recommend? No. Well, well, you're on the canning, right? And the, there's so many wells being restored now by. Well, you've heard of Track Care. I'm a member of Track Care. We restore yeah. wells on the canning and do other things. So I people are probably going to laugh when I say, I leave Perth with about 70 litres of drinking water. Yeah. And then I have empty containers, 10 litre and uh, two 10 litres and a, uh, a 20, which I fill from the wells. Yeah. And I yeah. use that for washing yeah. dishes, myself, uh, uh, boiling billies for... Uh, um, even for cups of tea and what whatever, and I keep the other water for drinking only. Yeah. So actually drinking water, and I've always got a reserve in case something drastic happens and we break down and are stranded for a week or whatever. Yeah. And so I keep the, the, the water I'm used to and my stomach is used to for drinking. Yeah. And I just keep picking up the, the well water as we go. That's great water, yeah. And that makes sense. I mean, we generally <laughs> travel with like slabs of water bottles so drinking oh, yeah. water we take three slabs of those and that's yeah. you know that's a lot of water you're not going to yeah. drink that much water um for yourself so how many days do you recommend it takes to cross the canning well i i 
to to do it the way I like to do it, to relive the history and walk to the rock holes on Breeden, in the Breeden Hills and other things that I know about, and around the Dyble Hills and even at Durba, there's some significant artwork, but people don't know it's there to walk around to. Yeah. I allow about 21 to 23 days. Yeah, okay. Yeah. One, one end to the other, roughly three wells a day. Some days there's not a lot around the wells. You might do four, you might do five. Yeah. Another day you'll only do one or two because you walk off and come back. You, you might even spend two nights at one well. depends on the timing. Yeah, of you course. Know, yeah. You might arrive at a well almost at camp time or 5K short of a well, so you're there first thing in the morning and go off and walk the Breeden Hills and whatever, you're going to stay there the night again. Yeah, that's right. About yeah, 20 to 21 days. People so it might be easier to work out how far you travel in a day or kilometres, like average speed. So you'd be averaging around... 25 kilometers an hour, 20 kilometers about, an hour. About that. About yeah. that. You know, we, we will typically start the, the dune country in prop in low range and almost not come out of it. Just take our time, and uh, it's easier at those sort of speeds instead of lurching and lugging. And uh, take our time, and something like 80 k's a day. Maybe 120 on some days. Yeah, uh, it's it just depends on what's to be done that day. Oh, that's right. Also that, depends if you feel like a beer at some point. You know, like well, that people, happens in the afternoon. They do. Some people like the history. Some people like the ecology, and other people it's purely the drive. Mm. They, they just want to be able to tick it off and say I've driven the canning, and they're only interested in the drive itself. Yeah. So. Everyone's got different goals. Yeah. So I'm planning on doing it actually in July next year. So yep. as far as what time of year you recommend we go go out there, I mean, it's Central Australia, so I'm assuming it's similar to the Simpson Desert sort of climate until you get, you know, you want to be up north yeah. end, you know, in the well, dry season. Well, take this season. Uh People were battling to get on the canning because it was so wet. Mm. So don't go too early. Don't be going in April. Yeah. Even in May, this year was people were getting bogged and stuck. Yeah. And well, there was back. that hundred series with those two people that got stuck in it out on a mud flat. Um, yes. At the start, right. that was May, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so they been, got stuck out there. So I've been uh, both both types of climate where. It was muddy and wet and was struggling to get through. Another season was a drought and the trees were popping leaves off to try and retain moisture. It was so yeah. dry. Yeah. Uh, so it varies. But uh, So don't plan to go too early because the weather might mess you around. Yeah. But remember that late June in July, you down the bottom end is almost a frost every morning. Yeah. We've had yeah. minus five. And, uh, oh, it like just that. came off the Simpson, and it was freezing out there, yeah. like minus three, minus four. It can four. be cool. Yeah, yeah. Which so there's the so the strategy would be remember it's eighteen hundred kilometres. So if you started at um, uh, Halls Creek in say beginning of June, yeah. Uh, sorry, beginning of May or mid May, it's warm up there, yeah. and it'll get cooler as you come down. Yeah. If you start at the bottom end. 
where it's cool as you go higher, the, the warmth of the summer, say in July and August, the, the warm weather's starting to come down till it gets too hot in September to be travelling out there. Yeah. So for me, the safest period is June, July and take a lot of warm clothes. Yeah, okay. So as you've just said then, the canning stock route starts on the Tanami track, which is um, southwest of Halls Creek. Um, yeah. You turn off there near the Wolf Creek crater and then you head straight out follow it right down through the sandy desert and then it comes out at Waluna, which is north of Kalgoorlie, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, yes. okay. So, um, Billaluna's the, the last town to buy fuel at the northern end, mm-hmm. Waluna at the southern end. Okay, yeah, all right. Okay. Um, so, why? what's the history of the canning? Give us a brief rundown of the right. canning stock route and and what it was originally used for. I mean, I'm assuming the name says stock route and it was originally moved to used to move cattle between stations um, or to Correct. get over. I know that they get over to even Rockhampton and stuff like that back in the day. They used to walk them a long way. Thousands, give us a bit yeah. of a, give us a, right. bit of a rundown. So Western Australia had this huge gold rush in the 1880s and 1890s, the population quadrupled in about two years from about 50,000 to 200,000 people. It wasn't much in in today's terms, but was big in those days. And basically, they didn't have enough meat uh, to feed everybody, and meat was expensive. They were bringing it from eastern states, places like Rockhampton in by ship. So the government decided, okay, we've got to do something about this. And so they sent a, a, a government surveyor by the name of Alf Canning out there who had just constructed the rabbit-proof fence to the west of where the stock route is. So he had experience. They said, go out there and see if it's feasible. So 1906, he, he and a group of people went up to Halls Creek. They found, yeah, yeah, we think we can put a stock route in. Told the government so. The government said, okay, then. So then he surveyed coming down where roughly the stock route should go. And he get, gets back to Perth, and the government says, yeah, beauty, let's build it. Well, we'll put you in charge of building it. So then Alf Calling was put in charge of building it, and it took them from 1908 to 1910. And the first lot of cattle was 1911, and the last lot of cattle was 1959. Okay. All by drivers, all by drivers, and That's all huge. cattle north to south. Okay. So they were bringing it out of the territory and down to no, out of northern, out of the Kimberley, out of the Kimberley. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. And then down to like Coolgardie, like that sort of area. No, bringing them to Waluna. Yeah. Uh, but there was other things. Like at Well Nine, they would branch off and take the cattle to the east and fatten them up if it was a harsh trip down. Yeah. And then they would put them on the trains at Waluna to oh, yeah. take them to markets in Perth or yeah. some would be walked down to Leonora where there was a railhead to take them to Kalgoorlie and Kilgardie for the gold. Yeah, because that's that's where the big mining thing, the gold that's, rush was, happened out there, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Kilgardie exactly. was huge for... It was massive. Yeah. Yes. yeah and okay. uh, and so that's what it there. Yeah, that's in that's a nutshell what it was all about. And there, there was 
I'm still finding more driving trips have previously not been recorded. So we're bordering on about 40 driving trips That's down crazy, the canning, that? That's which is a lot. But in another way, the amount of money they spent on it, between you and me and the rest of you, it was a white elephant. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, right. The money they spent on it was a white elephant. Okay. Yeah, right. Why is that? Because uh, it cost the state so much. Remember, we only had 200,000 people. Well, yeah, they raised like all the money to build things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah. Uh, you know, there was, there was, it was value for money spent. It wasn't good, but people had to eat beef and the government had to supply it to them. And, and then around about 19. In 1968, there was a whole bunch of surveyors in the um, surveying in the sandy desert for uh, national mapping. Yep. And two of them, or, or three of them, Chudley, Weinholz, and Keneally said, "Oh, this." They kept crossing the Canning doing their work. Let's give this thing a drive, and they became the first people to drive from Waluna to Halls Creek in their little. Uh, privately owned four-cylinder land Land Rovers. Oh, and really? Way and they made it all the way. Ah, oh, right. Yeah. Those little those Land Rovers are etched in Australian history. I I read a book on um, Len Bedell, um, yeah. who did the the Gun Barrel Highway and all that sort of stuff. And exactly the, those, the same Land Rovers. Yeah, they, mate. Those things were bulletproof. So it yeah. says a lot about them. But one thing, one thing uh, that, because people often say to me, I can't understand the wheel track on the canning. Seems to go left and right and left and right. I said, well, that's because of the underpowered four-cylinder Land Rovers. Yeah. They'd come to a big dune, and I said, well, we can't get over that. So they drive off looking for a low, low, a low point. They'd get over, then they drive back again. Hence, the track weaves around all over the place. They needed Land Cruisers, <laughs> mate. What can I say? Well, that didn't exist then. <laughs> All <laughs> right. So there you go. So the Keneally, uh, um, Chudley, Weinholz and Keneally. Sadly, Mr. Keneally's uh, no longer with us, but Chudley and Weinholz, I'll keep in touch with uh, with Weinholz. And he emailed him a month or so ago. Somebody, oh, that's uh, Somebody bought Keneally's Land Rover and was restoring it. Oh, that's cool. Mm. That's really good. Mm. So... While you're out there, Phil, what do we want to see? Well, from my uh, perspective, I relive the history. Yeah. I know when Canning got to a certain point. I know when Wally Dowling, the driver, was there. Uh, things like when the uh, when there was there were there were spearings. It wasn't it wasn't all just let's go for a, a Sunday drive. The Aboriginal people were fierce, especially around the the wells in the thir in the numbers of thirty. Yeah. Very fierce because the water was short, food was short, and these blokes were coming through. The the cattle would swoop and empty out a whole area, clay pan or something, and a, and a well, and they were short of water. So they had they saw it as a threat, the invaders, and they speared blokes and they died. And your Thompson, Shoesmith, Aboriginal driver called Chinaman, another fellow, uh, oh, the name escapes me for now. There was a whole bunch of them uh, yeah. speared. Then there was retaliation. The government sent up Pilmer for the, and uh, uh, he he called it. He dispersed something like thirty Aborigines. By dispersed, he means he shot. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. At the, at the request of the government. Yeah, that's how, things, that's how the history was then. Yeah, uh, whether we agree with it or not. 
Yeah. You go there, and I, I like to relive it and enjoy it and share it with people. Yeah. And I like to just even just sit under a desert oak and just yeah. contemplate and just it's just wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful. And they actually Sounds... smell the clean air. Yeah. You could and the stars. The... Yeah. The stars. Yeah. And, and it's just wonderful. And what's to see that you got the Breeden Hills, you got all these little bluffs and hills and breakaways, Thring Rock. The Darber Hills down near Durba, to the west of the Durba Hills, and you've got the Durba Hills themselves. You can no longer go to the Calvert Range or the Carnarvon Ranges. They were fantastic areas to travel in. I've been yeah. here many times, but they're out of bounds. There's the rock art. There's a, yeah. Do you actually cross through the Great Sandy Desert? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. is that desert like the Simpson Desert with? sand dunes and stuff like that or is it like a flat desert with no, shrubs it's, it's sand dunes with shrubbery and 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 low uh, uh stuff in the dune what i call the dune corridors yeah but then you get belts of uh, uh um eucalypts and uh and uh, uh mulga and the higher reaches and then you get into the big groves of desert oaks just yeah. spectacular they're yeah. just they're just, uh, uh, and you never know what's coming up. I mean, you, you, you just come up to the top of a dune, you look over the top, you're wondering what's going to be in there. Could be a yeah. huge grove of desert oats, could be Melaleuca, or this year could be completely purple and pink with all oh, the fun. shrubs in flower, like a huge botanical garden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just great, you know. Beautiful. All right. So we're going to talk about something really important. I mean, I'm hoping we've touched on how remote this is. Safety is key. So if you're not traveling numbers, and even if you are traveling in numbers, satellite communication is vital. This isn't the type of place that you go out without satellite communication. And if you do, you're foolish because you're not going to get anything for a month, so or, you know, up to a month if you want. So it could be up to a month, or there could be someone the next day. But you shouldn't be relying on that. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, you know, yeah. We, uh, I travel with a HF radio, yeah, sat phone, EPIRB, and I've got thirty years ex- bush experience. Yeah, uh, and then there's other people in the group. Usually, one of them's got a spot or yeah. similar similar devices. And so people can follow you on spot every day. They can see where you've been. And That's what I use. Yeah. And the and the and the police and the and the family and all that yeah. can send messages through. You know, a sat phone might sound expensive, but not really. Not when it could cost you your life. That's Just exactly the other right. yeah. a week ago, this young fella and his girlfriend, no comms, uh, stuck around well twenty two. They separated for some reason. Walked away from the vehicle, which is a no-no. You never that's walk right. away. Never from leave it. your vehicle. I mean, that's where so all your it, stuff is. You've got shelter. You've got water. You've got food. Okay. You've got everything. There's but, no reason but, to leave your vehicle. But aerial surveillance can spot the vehicle. And they that's exactly right. Big yeah. Thing, but the, a, a person is tiny. Yeah. Anyhow, they separated. The no-no. Luckily, they both survived. But there have been others a few years or ten years or so earlier. At roughly the same area, died of thirst. Yeah, the people are lost, uh, and they. You, I can't stress 
enough. Safety is number one, and it's only money. Yeah, crocky, yeah. it's only a sat phone, $35 a month, or you can rent them for two or $300 for the trip, and you can share it with three or four people. Yeah. I just say, oh, no, there'd be people coming by and that, but you shouldn't be relying on nah, If everybody nah. relied on people coming by, nobody would have a sat phone. <laughs> That's you know, exactly right. That's crazy. exactly right. I yeah. just can't understand how people just don't realise this is dangerous. Yeah. It yeah. can be lethal yeah. if yeah. you do the wrong thing. It's pretty and remote. Yep. <laughs> There's not it much is. out there. It is, and it's vast. You yeah. Know, you the reason the canning is hard on vehicles is it takes about 20 days to do the 1,800 kilometres. Not two or three like some other trips where you yeah. can muddle your way through with a broken shocky or whatever. You can't muddle your way through for 15 days without any shockies or with a broken chassis. Or That's or exactly right. And to put... 1,800 kilometres into perspective, that's from Melbourne to Brisbane if you live on the East Coast. Yeah. It's a really long way to go without going through a town and having no fuel. So really think about safety. I mean, we've touched on maintenance and how important it is to have your vehicle in good condition. Um, suspension being absolutely vital to dealing with corrugations for 10 hours a day. And it needs to be set up to the weight of your vehicle correctly. And the other key thing is tire pressures. And a lot of people don't realize how important tire pressures are. Um, I would, if I was out there, I'd probably be running, I mean, I haven't been to the conditions, but, you know, 18 to 20 pound um, to try and take a lot of that shock out of the corrugation, give you a bigger footprint for driving on the sand, which is going to give you better fuel economy and make you drive a lot more comfortable. What really? have you found the biggest issues with tyre pressures are and people um, not, not lot airing down? Like you, 18 to 20 PSI. I start at the first sand dunes at 18 to 20 PSI and the tyres do not change until three weeks later when we leave the sand dunes. Yeah. They just, they don't put them up and down every day. Just That's it. We just leave and that's it. Yeah. Uh, 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 one of the trips uh, a couple of years back, we met this, uh, we, we sort of drove around the corner and there was this uh, cruiser ute trying to get up a dune and he roar up this up the dune, rooster tailing dirt everywhere, stuck. He'd reverse down again. The runway was about 200 metres, and he went right down. He charged the dune again. He got a little bit further, the rooster tailing dirt everywhere. And so we got on the CB and said, look, uh, I think you better let your tyres down, mate. You're fine. You'll get up there. Oh, I don't want to get a puncture. Well, look, you know, let your tyres down. So he says, look, he says, you go. I'll let my tyres down, and then I'll come after you. All right, then. So we just... No run up, just drove around the corner, up every the six vehicles up and over the top and gone. Yeah. We met him later that afternoon. He says, Gee, letting your tires down makes a difference. I said, Well, it does. I said, uh, What did you let him down to? He said, 35. He let them down to 30. <laughs> That's ridiculous. He says, We pumped them up again now, so he didn't learn. Yeah, nah, nah. Uh, I came across a guy on the Gibb River Road when I was doing that, and he had blown five tyres on a Hilux and a camper trailer. And I said to him, I said, because he came up to me at Mount Barnett Roadhouse, and he's like, oh, I need to get to the tyre place and get these. I've blown five tyres. I'm like, 
how have you blown five tires? He goes, oh, I'm running 40. I said, how much pressure are you running? He goes, oh, I'm running 40 PSI. I'm like, mate, you know, 25, like on the gib, you're doing 60 kilometers an hour or whatever. Yeah. You're pretty comfortably. You should be at 25. There's no reason to have 40 PSI on your tires. It's for people who don't get it. It's like blowing a balloon up and then getting a knitting needle if you blow a balloon all the way up and get a knitting needle and push it into it, it'll pop really That's quickly. Right. If you deflate that halfway and push the needle into it, it's getting a, it's going to you know, absorb a lot more of that needle before it, it pops. So people that are worried about... It flexes over the sharp object. That's exactly right. So people who are worried about getting punctures are worried about the wrong thing i mean new tires our modern tires have got sidewall protection on them like you look at the bf all terrains or you or if, like the open countries or any of those other all-terrain tires coopers they've all got protection around the sidewall and that's designed so that if you do air down you've got protection yeah. from rocks as you sort of drive over it so there's no excuse, and there's no reason to run that much, it's that much pressure. It's old thinking. So, of course, these hard tyres, they chew up the approach of the, the approaches to the dunes and getting up the dunes. And so the next poor devil that comes along with these tyres at the right pressures goes through these tank traps, and it's just bang, bang, and there, there goes your suspension, the hard tyres, put so much stress on the suspension for charging up those jeans and we just idle up them. Most of them, we just second low, third low, straight up over the top without any need. But you've got to get through these big holes caused by the people driving fast. That's right, and then, yeah. And then, and then you get to the area around well 33, kind of for a roughly two wells either side, the country's reasonably flat. And because it is... The people with the hard tyres, 60 and 80 kilometres an hour, and these hard tyres creating the corrugations. Yeah. And, so, and you can see it. Oh, it's too, too corrugated now. So they make another track to the left and another yeah. track to the left, and we counted seven, seven tracks going across in one spot. And it's yeah. just, and it's all hard tyres, all laziness. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to get out and let my tyres down. If they only knew that the amount of stress that would be taken off their suspension, yeah. their tires and their shock absorbers and their springs and everything. And, and how much more comfortable it is for yourself. Yeah. I mean, and, why would you want to ride hurry? a vehicle that rough? What's the hurry? Why do you got to do 60 and 70? Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Why do you got to do 60? But you can't. It's people's experiences, you know. Um, I um, And here's another example. It's very... Be, and one needs to be careful of listening to people and, and even listening to me. Don't assume that what you're thinking and what they're thinking is the same. Because I had a chap who, who was a friend of uh, the people we were going on a trip with, and he said, oh, yeah, very experienced four-wheel drive. I've had this for 14 years and been all over the place. And I said, well, well all right then. So we start, and I'm doing about... 25 to 30 kilometres an hour over that uh, limestone cap rock stuff. Yeah. And he stops me. He says, oh, don't you think you're going a, a, a bit fast? And I looked at him and said, what? What do you mean? 
said, oh, you know, you're going, you're going a, a, a bit fast, you know, the tyres. And I sort of got talking to him, and his idea of full driving experience was taking the caravan to Broome. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I, I, should have, I should have drilled down and be saying to them, you know, well, well what have you done? Yeah, uh, yeah. Now that we were in Halls Creek ready to do the Tanami on one trip, yeah. and this couple came in with a camper trailer, and they were huffing and puffing and carrying on, and never do the Tanami again. It's so rough. It's this and it's that. Well, we drove the Tanami, and when we got to Alice Springs, we were wondering where the rough bits were. Yeah, yeah. It's an experience and knowledge and how to, of driving the vehicle and being prepared. So whatever you do, folks, make sure you are both on the same page when you're asking for information. Yeah, that's well, exactly be right. Better, you can be led a bum steer. Yeah, yeah. We found exactly the same thing. Some people will go, oh, that's really rough, you know, it's terrible and it's just because they don't have their vehicle either set up properly or they they don't understand things, as we said, like tyre pressure, which can make yep. such a big difference to that. I mean, if you're at 25 PSI doing the, you know, something like the, the Tanami, 22, 25 PSI in the trailer and on the and in the car or in the cruiser or whatever, your full drive, um, you're not going to have issues with corrugations at no. sort of 80 kilometres an hour. People tend to slow down quite a lot as well. And I'm not saying get out there and do 120 kilometers an hour, but you need to find that nice, comfortable medium where you're sort of doing about, I find it's about 80 kilometers an hour where yeah. you can minimize how rough those corrugations actually are. Um, yeah. I went out with people um, and we were out doing the Darling River Darling River run and slowing down on the corrugations. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, we need to do sort of 70 or 80 kilometers an hour. And it, it just makes all the world of difference. So yeah. it, it makes a huge difference. to do the 70, 80 kilometers an hour on the canning because the corrugations in places there are a lot of those, you know, the uh, treated pine logs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine installing those about every uh, two, two to 300 it. mil. <laughs> <laughs> For about 50k. Yeah, no, nah, that's full on. When I, you know, it's uh, the other thing about what suits your vehicle won't suit, uh, say, a, a Novara because the wheel track, the distance between the front and rear wheels may be different. Yeah. And so the corrugations are always whatever they are set at the same. So what suits your vehicle going along? The other, the other bloke has got. 16 inch tires someone else has got mm. 20 inch tires well the bloke with 20 inch tires that vehicle is going to find it easier because of the size of the rim and the diameter it's a bit flatter and the smaller tires it's more difficult uh, the wheel the, the wheelbase the, the, the distance between the front and rear tires makes yeah. all the difference even the distance across can make it different because yeah. uh, say you're driving a 200 series it's much wider and yeah. you've got less room to manoeuvre to go left and right. Yeah. And I've got a mate who drives a Unimog. Well, you know, he's got no chance. <laughs> yeah, cool, though. That would be awesome to have a Unimog. Oh, yeah, he's, re he's running around in the Northern Territory now. Uh, lovely. That would be good. Yeah, yeah, he's been out to Nullumboy and all that. Yeah, but, Yeah, so for a trip leader, I'm speaking from that point of view, the organiser of the trip or the person that's in charge of the trip, because it's always best to have someone in charge to sort things out otherwise you have a you know a, a 
a dog's breakfast trying to sort things out. And and uh, you work things out and you say, right, this is how the trip will go and whatever. You've got to get, you have to have a balance. Not all vehicles perform the same. Yeah. Some will work better in first high doing the dunes mm. and some are better in low range doing the dunes. Yeah. And there's all sorts of things. There's no... It's, it's, there's it's, no set. There's no set thing. Oh, do this hill in first high. It just doesn't work like that. The torque comes in at different levels and different yeah. speeds, and the stresses and the the way of the load, vehicles loaded, and uh, there's more at the back than in the middle, and oh, everything is so much. There's yeah. so much to it. Uh, I'd say to people, if you don't really have bush experience, or I call it bush desert experience. Join the four-wheel drive club. You'll yeah. learn so much from those people. I've been a member of uh, one for forever. And you learn so much from those people without having to pay huge dollars to a, a, um, a training company. Or do a tra do, do one of the ones where the um, the people like the uh, workers that they work in power on mine sites and that, they've got to do four-wheel drive courses and get the ticket. Do something like that, even if you reckon you've got 10 or 20 years' experience, you will learn things that you didn't realise. Well, that's right. I mean... starts and all sorts of things. Yeah. And that will give you a lot more confidence. There's a big difference, too, between beach driving and desert driving. Desert sand rarely gets wet, so it, it behaves yeah. completely differently to being on the beach. So if you haven't driven through the desert before, it it probably is a really good idea because it, it is completely different to driving. Yes, yes. So there, there's, um, there's, uh, oh, um, that's just my experiences with with the deserts. But you know, uh, if I can just say a couple of things about scenery, the Diable Hills, st you're still allowed to visit those. They're down around well, eighteen uh, seventeen to the west of the Durba Hills, Durba Gorge themselves itself most people spend two nights there it's a oasis uh, a, a big pool of water and uh, please don't swim in it because uh, there's no other water around have your shower away from the water and it's got cooch grass and white gum trees plenty of photos of Durba if you type in Durba Springs you'll be blown away but people go in there rest up cook up and then they leave if they walked to the East, southeast, around. There's so many Aboriginal art sites all the way around the rock for kilometres. Okay. And it's worthwhile going around there, having a look see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, yep. All right. Um, uh, touching on that, maps. What's the best map mapping to take? I mean, I use the Hema Explorer and the Hema Four Drive maps on my iPad. Um, yeah. I've also got um, paper maps that I take with me as well. I use their Hema um, paper maps. Have you yeah. got any recommendations on on what the best mapping stuff to take is? Well, yes, you you've got your Hema maps, um, which are great for planning and giving you an over. See, there's Nothing better to have an overall picture of what you're going to do that day. So you yeah. can get your map out and look for the next 100 or 200 kilometres ahead to the next day or so and say, right, we're going to, we should try and camp there tonight because then tomorrow night we'll be at Durba. Otherwise, you'll end up, you know, being at Durba at, 
uh, morning tea time yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it gives you good planning for HEMA maps, the, the ones with the large scale, they're called the desert maps. Then you've got your HEMA navigator and those sorts of things. Uh, they're great um, um, uh, on, on the IT front. I personally don't use a, um, an app on my phone or whatever because I use a, 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 a map, digital mapping called Aussie Explorer. I, yeah. I actually have a tough book, not a laptop yeah. in my car running live mapping the whole time. Yeah. yeah. I enter waypoints, I enter data. I actually have Canning's original map on my laptop and I can navigate exactly to where he put points on that map. And yeah, I've done. Cool. Yeah. And I've then also can so I, I to me it works for me. I've got all my waypoints, stuff that I put in 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years later, I can f go out five kilometres across, across the scrub and run straight into it and not miss it. Yeah. That suits me. That's yeah, so that's a great website. That, um, the... No, that's the website. That's Explore Oz. Oh, sorry, yeah. And this then the other ones... Or a software. Yeah, so I looked into that, but I only have Apple computers. And yeah. it's only on PC, yeah. Can't do it on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. true. Now, uh, Explore Oz for people uh, is a great site because I worry that a lot of people do the canning and they miss stuff. They've driven straight past it because they didn't know that just over there was art or caves or breakaway or one of canning's original uh, um, 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 uh, cans or something. The guard book, the Canning Stock Route, a Traveller's Guide, has been out of print now for many years. And it's a great book, but the track information, much of the track information is now out of date yeah. uh, because things have changed. Mining companies have put roads through and there's all sorts of things have changed. Yeah. And the guards have said to me, sorry about that, my phone. Yeah, Guards have said to me that they just they've they've only they've only done the canning about forty three times, yeah. and it's getting <laughs> they're getting too old to be doing a rehash of it all. Yeah. So the next best thing to help you is, uh, well, still get the guards book if you can. The historical information around each well is great, and the information between each well is great because. Let's face it, a breakaway isn't going to disappear in 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And so it warns you, and that's great. The history, they've got a fair bit of history in there, but they could only do so much, and uh, otherwise the book would be like 10 volumes of the encyclopedia. Yeah. So if you get that, it's a great book. TJM have got a little publication out. It's about 10 pages, and it's a map of the canning, and it's got uh, travel information in it. And, and and data as well. Okay. So that'd be available probably from TJM stores or well, TJM yeah, online most, somewhere, I guess. Most four-wheel drive stores uh, would have it yeah. for canning. Yeah. Uh, West Print have a map, but that's it's a bit, it's not really good to navigate by. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now, I would suggest strongly Explore Oz, sorry, Explore Oz have a trek note on the canning. Yeah. And yeah, it's that. kept up to date. It's got lots of data and waypoints and how to prepare your vehicle 
uh, what to see and do, best times of the year, and all sorts of pages and pages and pages of stuff. You can print it all off and take it with you. Yeah, absolutely. You can also download stuff onto your apps. Yeah, well. yeah. Yeah. Explore the, OZ. Yeah, there's a there's actually an Explore Oz app as well, which you can um, put on your iPad or on your iPhone, and you can download and look at all those trek notes as well. So yes. yes. Now, finally, I'd love to just touch on towing and what your thoughts of towing are across the across the canning. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. Wouldn't. Okay. Now, people will say, oh, yeah, old fuddy-duddy or whatever. Let me say, I own a Cub Drover off-road camper. Yeah. I still wouldn't take it on the canning. Yeah. My experience of the canning, the corrugations, the stress it puts on the tow hitch of the vehicle and the A-frame and the snapped A-frames and everything shaking and falling to bits, I just wouldn't. I want to go on a four-wheel drive trip and enjoy myself and not spend 20 days paranoid about, am I going to be able to get the camper out because half of it's busted and welding bits and plates on and broken axles and because that's what happens. Yeah. And I'd, I'd rather have a tent or a swag and enjoy myself and yeah. save the camper for other things. That was – I have the same experience. So we have a T-van, which is a sensational trailer. It's tough as um and i've just taken it across the simpson it was part of a five-week trip that i was doing and i was like oh, i'll just take it across the simpson because it's only three or four days of five mm. weeks and i'm not gonna sleep in a swag for five weeks um well i'm happy to do that but i was picking up my wife from brisbane um, yeah. in saying that i wouldn't do it again so the trailer made it across no problems mm. but i went with five other vehicles and i worked so much harder on that trip like probably you know three or four times harder towing uh than what they were um without yeah. their trailers so i would feel the same way you're going out to do the canning it's the one thing you you know, as long as you're not sort of including, it's not the type of thing that you include into another trip. You go out to do the canning because it's it's such a huge thing. Um, I would probably agree with that, and I I won't be towing our camper across there. Um, I love the idea of just not having to stress about it. I could just roll a swag out and take yep. minimal amounts of gear. And so enjoyed the trip. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, there's nothing better than laying in your swag under the stars out in the middle of the bush. I don't think I don't think anything can beat that. So yeah. So well, that brings us to probably the end of our conversation, Phil. Thank you, thank you very much for joining us and giving us such a wealth of knowledge. Mm. And thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If I've been able to help just one person today, I'm thrilled. Well, and people people can uh, find me on the internet and send me emails and whatever, and yeah. I'll do whatever I can to help. Absolutely. Because, uh, so people help me when I was learning the the game. People yeah. help me, and I'm happy to help them. Thank you very much, yeah. Phil. So check out um, the Canning Stock Group Facebook page, Phil. What's that? Yeah, that's it's, it. Just that's the it. Canning Stock Group. Canning Stock Group on Facebook. There's nearly five thousand members now. 
Yeah, it's a wealth of knowledge on there. So um, jump on there. All really good people on there that are interested in doing it. And Phil's very active on there. And as he said, if you want to get in contact with him and ask some questions, hit him up. If you've got any questions, you can ask me and I can ask Phil if you want. But, um, yeah, he's always willing to help. Thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed this and all the best of your other blogs. And if I can help you in other ways... Pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, Phil.